growing up, all of us have or will struggle with trying to figure out who we are, what is our identity. And so we try to find that in different aspects or areas of our lives. Like some of us try to find our identity in what we do, what we do. So I might say, I, I, I'm a pastor. You might say, well, you're, as you introduce yourself to somebody, like you're a businessman or woman, or you're a nurse, or you're an attorney, or you're a, you fill in the blank. Based on what you do, you're thinking that is the core of your identity. And obviously, it's an aspect of it, but it is not the core. In fact, many of us then try to find our identity through relationships, right? Through relationships. We think we are based on the people that we hang out with. Uh, based on the relationships that we have. Like, for example, if you remember, those of you who are a little older, like myself, and you went to elementary, junior high, and high school, you started to see this desire to connect with other people in order to fit in, in order to have a place where you belong, and that place you belonged actually became a marker for an identity for someone else to say that person is. Like, I'll date myself a little bit. In my day, it was the jocks. That's who you were. You were a jock. You were a nerd. You know, you are a rocker, you are a skater, or you are goth, okay? Just a, just a little, little help. Or you might be one of the misfits at Table 9, you know, um, <laughs> wedding singer reference. Uh, you know, that's my genre as well. Uh, as we get older, it's who we're dating. You know, like, well, I'm so-and-so's boyfriend. Or when I was dating my wife, now I am Carolina's fiancé, and now I am Carolina's husband, and so she's my wife, and so we kind of take on that identity, thinking that is who we are, and it's not. Uh, it gets even more deep, you know, uh, in our lives when you have the opportunity, or if you have the opportunity, to adopt or have your own child. When you have a child, you embrace a different identity. and says, I am a mom, or I am a dad. No, 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 those are still things that you do, aspects and relationships, and they are important but that is not at the core of who you are. Uh, many of us then try to find you know, our identity you know, in our interests and hobbies. Interests and hobbies. So we align ourselves with clubs, team sports, activities, or other, uh, other things that we might be interested in. So you might say you're a triathlete, or I would say I'm a Seahawk fan or wannabe golfer, or you might say you're a CrossFit person. You're insane, but you're a CrossFit <laughs> person. You know, you might say, well, I'm a hunter or I'm a fisherman. I am. You fill in the hobby or interest that you find yourself identifying with. Now, especially nowadays, uh, the hot button that always gets everybody kind of quiet is that people are trying to find their identity now more than ever in their sexuality, in their gender, and in their race. So you hear it all the time. My identity is that I believe that I am gay or I am straight or I am bi, or I am a, which is a new thing that's going around. Or I am male, I am female, or I am now transgender. I am black, I am white, I am Hispanic. And we see this all the time in the news, being thrust forward. And what the core of every single one of those things is a, 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 is a clinging to a desire to try to figure out who am I? It's an identity issue. Now, to figure out who we are, in reality, we've got to look at the Creator. Otherwise, we will just be caught up with whatever we believe is right or whatever our world tells us to believe or think. Now, I'm not even talking about Christ yet. I'm just talking about identity in who our Creator has been. This is most often seen uh, with someone who's been adopted. So if you've been adopted, uh, you can see this play out because God has wired us to try to figure out who we are. 
And so an adopted child, we have one, you know, as well, and she's going to go through this, and every single time I talk to an adopted person, this has been one of their scenarios. At some point in their life, there is a desire to try to connect with their bio parents. And the reason being is because they believe that it will give some insight in who they are. Maybe personality, maybe interests. As much as they've loved and connected with their adopted family, there's just this desire inside to say, maybe this will help me understand a little bit more of who I am. Now, we hear all the time in our culture, and others say something along these lines. Uh, You should be whatever you believe or you feel like being. That's what you should do. You should be whoever you believe or feel like being. Do you realize that's probably some of the worst advice that we could buy into and believe, especially as we're telling younger people? You know, just believe that. Really? What if I told you, today I'm just going to believe that I'm going to be a deadbeat dad who is verbally abusive to my wife and just has no relationships whatsoever? Now, if you loved me, you would actually come to me and you would say, hey, Dan, this is probably not a good decision. I'd be like, why? That's what I believe. That's what I feel like being. And you would say it's because it hurts relationships. It's even hurting yourself. And you would be right. And so it can't be just this desire to be who we feel like we should be, but there's got to be something beyond us. So what is it that our core of identity should be? What is the core that will last in this life and in the life to come? And my hope is that it's going to awaken some of us to a new reality or remind some of us who maybe have wandered from the reality or be just an encouragement for the reality that we're currently living in. And so with that in mind, I want you to open with me because the Bible has a lot to say about this to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17, uh, either, you know, on your smartphone, you know, or tablet, you know, or if you have uh, your Bible with you, we have Bibles in the back as a gift from us to you. Now, as we go through these verses, uh, because it's clearer to understand, I'm going to present it to you, you know, a little bit different than how it's read. In other words, it's not, we're not going to read just verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, because if you've not been here a part of the series, it's not going to make a ton of sense. So just know I'm going to be bouncing around, you know, just a little bit, and not all the scriptures will be on the screen so that you can keep looking at it in your Bibles. So let's actually start, not in verse 1, but let's actually start in verse 10, because it kind of kicks off this subject. This is where the Apostle Paul writes, put on your new nature. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and you become like him. So put on this new identity is what he's saying. And as you learn to know Jesus, as you learn to know him, you're supposed to be like him. So if you get nothing else, this is the main point we want you to walk away with today. Jesus is the answer to our identity. Amen? Okay, let's remind you that we started this last week. So I went to Africa. When I came back from Africa, Steve and Jake said, you need to preach like you did in Africa. And I said, I would preach like I did in Africa if you would respond like the people in Africa responded when I preached. And so we're trying to move away from the frozen chosen to just the chosen people, okay? So it's okay to say amen. It's okay to clap. It's okay to be engaged, especially if you're sleepy. You know, it really just helps, you know, uh, to get things going on. So let's try it again. Jesus is the answer for our identity. There we go. 
See, today could be the discovery. That's what I'm talking about. Today could be the discovery, you know, of this new identity, you know, in Christ. But some of us have received Christ. Some of us have put our trust and our hope in him, and he was the core of our identity. And what we're saying is none of the other things that I mentioned, like being a father or a husband, none of those things are bad, but if that is the core of my identity, things get completely misplaced, completely misplaced. Here's how what we know if our core of our identity is misplaced. If whatever we believe is our identity gets taken away, how do we respond? If we are completely devastated for the rest of our life or for many years, you and I have misplaced our identity. In other words, when your kids grow up and they leave the house, I cannot tell you how many parents, especially moms you know, on, on this side of things, you know, have struggled with saying, I don't know who I am now. I've heard that phrase a lot because I was a mom. I embraced that identity so much, it overtook what I was supposed to have my core identity, which is in Christ. Or guys who retire, you know, and they're like, wait, I, I was the businessman. I was the CEO. I was the teacher. And now I'm not doing that. Or I was the pastor. Now that I'm not doing that, I don't know who I am anymore. And people struggle, you know, with, with that. Not, not just talking about a little struggle. Or when you lose a loved one, you know, and you're like, this was my spouse of 30 years. And it's painful. It's painful. But your spouse is not your identity. That is not who God created you to be. God wants to be the core and center of identity that through you being a husband or a wife or a teacher or, or, or a business person, that through those things, he still remains the core. So that if things should change and go through painful times, you still have a bedrock that gets you through irregardless. Because here's the fact, everything besides Christ that you and I hold our identity in will not be the same on the other side of eternity. It just won't. You won't be married, you know, like that anymore. It's a whole different conversation. You know, the kids have grown up. You're not going to be known as the businessman or woman. It's all those things will fade away, but will remain the same as Jesus Christ. Now, some of us have forgotten that truth. Some of us used to accept that truth, and we have forgotten that you and I are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That our identity is that you and I are children of God. That's something that permeates in this life and the life to come. But we have bought into some other things that have taken away from that connection with God. Now, here's what I know. I have kids. And so as having a dad who has kids, I couldn't help but think of this scene to remind you and show you as it pertains to this issue. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my 
be the one thing you're going to walk out with, to remember who you are, who you already are because of what Christ has done, not by anything that you have said or done, allows you to be sons or daughter of the King. And when you embrace that, it makes all the difference in the world. Now your identity doesn't ebb and flow by the circumstances or situations or relationships that you have or don't have in life. Its cornerstone and foundation is on Jesus. Amen? That's what it's about. And so if Jesus is the answer for identity, there are things that trip us up, that hinder us, that get us off track from our identity. So the rest of the passage, the Apostle Paul is going to walk through and say, okay, you've got to put off some things. In other words, there's some things that are weighing you down, hindering you, distracting you, taking you away from your identity in Christ. And then he's going to talk about putting things on, things that will help remind you, help keep you focused on who God has truly created you to be in Jesus Christ. So he's going to say, put to death some things, and he's going to say, put on some things. It's just like, you know, uh, uh, waking up and getting actually dressed. You actually have to do something intentionally, and you have to take some things off. Don't go to Walmart in your PJs, people. Not a good look, Okay. Get dressed first, you know, to take off the old stuff, put on something new. And, and so one of the ways, you know, I figured I'd illustrate this, you know, uh, uh, really well, which I know Tony Williams is really going to appreciate, you know, is uh, uh, here is a classic Willis jersey, right? 49ers, okay? No, no booing, 49ers. <laughs> Amen. So we got some preacher brothers. So here's a 49er jersey, okay? This represents the sin and death and evil in your life, Okay? <laughs> So, so this is the old stuff. This is putting this on. You already have this on you. I mean, I couldn't even put it on because I was going to have negative non-pastoral thoughts that were going to be in my head and outside of somebody actually caught me dead in this thing. And so I just kept thinking like, oh, this is disgusting. This is gross. But I look in the mirror. If you see this in the mirror, you're supposed to rip this off and you're supposed to put it to death. That's what you're supposed to do when it comes to in Christ Jesus right? But you're not supposed to take off. You're actually then to put on, you know, something that is, that is, that is righteous, that is good, that is right, that is holy, that is honoring. And so you've got to put on something in order for you to maintain your identity in Christ Jesus. And so we'll put this down really nice and neat because this is very, 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 very important, you know, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <laughs> So just having a little fun, you know, and uh, that's Scott Sparley's jersey, by the way. Somebody asked, did you buy that? I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, so in verse five, this is actually what he says. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. That's what he's saying. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, uh, impurity, lust, in case that wasn't enough, evil desires in general. He says, don't be greedy. Uh, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Verse 6, and this one's not on the screen. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. When your identity was not connected to God through Jesus Christ, you used to engage in these things. That's what he's saying. 
But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. So he's saying put to death these things that are inside and that we're going to wrestle with the rest of our lives. Now, if you're not connected to Christ, uh, many of these things don't seem so bad depending on context. I mean, sometimes you need to be a little greedy in order to get ahead. You need to lie, you need to fudge a little bit. And so you're like, what's wrong with some of these things? Here's what you know, is that all of these things, the reason God is not some killjoy in the sky, what he's trying to tell us is all of these things that were mentioned hurt relationship. It hurts relationship with him, it hurts relationship with one another, and it even hurts relationship from within. Just how you view yourself. That's why God says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's an important aspect of that. So we're trying to wrestle with that and get rid of these things. But unfortunately, if we live according to these things, you do realize that we, we, we begin to get a reputation by living according to those standards. Uh-oh, for example, do you know anybody uh, in and around your life who's greedy? All right? And you know that they're just a greedy person. And they, whether they know it or not, that's the reputation or the identity that is now bestowed on them because they are greedy and they live you know, in such a way. Do you know someone who's a habitual liar? or a womanizer, you know, on a regular basis. And you might say, well, yeah, I know those people. Well, then we got to look from within. Are any of those people us? That we realize that those things are hindering, they're hurting us, and it's hurting our identity when we embrace those things. But what Paul says is as you put to death those things, you're supposed to then put on something intentionally. So he says, put to death those things, but put on. Now, here's where we get tripped up. A lot of us as Americans, you know, uh, we're taught to work hard, which is a great value, and pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. The harder you work, the more ahead that you'll get. And unfortunately, we bring that into Christianity thinking, oh, Dan, what you're saying is I just need to work harder. No, that's workspace religion. Uh, you cannot outwork your sinful nature. It's going to rear its ugly head. You have to focus on not on your old nature that continues to rise up, but in order to become who Christ has called you to be in Christ and in him, you got to focus on him. And this is how he says it in verse 10. Put on the new nature. This is your new identity. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Amen. So what he's saying there, he's like, you have taken on an identity that you shouldn't take on. And he says it in other places as well. He says, it doesn't matter whether you think you are a Jew. So he puts that hat on. That's who I am. Like, no. Or a Gentile, barbaric, uncivilized, even slave or free. He goes, that's not the point. The point is Christ is all that matters. Your identity is found in him. Verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must then clothe yourselves, this is what we're putting on, with ten, you close yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. What do all those things have in common? Relationship healthy relationship between other people with God at the center in the way that he intended us to be. See, when you and I accept Christ and say, Jesus, you're going to be Lord, that happens in an instant. But to be renewed in Christ is a lifetime. It's something that you and I are going to wrestle with and struggle with 
all the time, all the time. You know, and so instead of walking away going, shoot, I suck again, to wake up and say, no, 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 I have a chance to embrace a new reality, a new identity in him. And so how do we do this? How do we continue to embrace our identity in Jesus and to learn to know and be like him? You understand that the issue is not that you have a, a sin problem. That is a major issue in your life. But the core of it is that you and I have an allegiance problem. We have an allegiance problem. Uh, the most common thing that we have done when we grow up in, in elementary school is we stand up, we say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And we go through that on a, on a regular basis all the way through our elementary years. And what are we saying? We're saying, my commitment is whether I agree with it or not, I am going to pledge an allegiance to this country. That's what I'm pledging my allegiance to. Now, how much more important is it for us to wake up every morning and to remember who we are aligned with? Who are we in allegiance with? And maybe we should, in our hearts and minds, as we're reading the Bible, we should stand up and say, I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior forever and ever. That's an amen. And so we, 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 we commit ourselves so that when we then embrace the role as father or husband or business person or teacher or coworker or neighbor or friend, we do it out of an allegiance to Christ first in and through all of those things. But how do we do it? How do we see this play out? And what's cool is that Paul actually tells us at the beginning. So if you go to verse 1, he says, Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, this is your new identity now, your new purpose, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So the first thing to help us stay grounded and connected to Christ as our identity is to remember and live as if this world is not our home. Because it's not. If you are in Christ, this world is no longer your home. We have to think and live and act in a way. Do our decisions reflect that this world is all there is? Or does it reflect that there's something more? You see, when I was in Africa just a few weeks ago, it was very easy. It's very, very easy when you go on a mission trip to live for Christ. Uh, because I'm not at home. And so I'd go and I'd live and I'd share and I'd be compassionate and I'd serve and you know, wake up first thing. How can I love God and connect with God and connect with others? And it was just such an easy ebb and flow while on the trip. But then I came home. And when I'm home, I realized I have three kids. That changes everything. You know? uh, and, and I realized that these people really know me for who I am. You know? So they know the good, and they know the bad, they know the ugly, they know all that other kind of stuff. And then the busyness of life and the bills and all that kind of stuff begins to, to pile on. You begin to process and think. And then it was an aha moment for me. This world is not my home. And so why am I so consumed with the day-to-day-to-day? Shouldn't I, in the words of Apostle Paul, have my focus and my thoughts on what is beyond? Because when I do, no matter what life throws at me on this side of eternity, I can get through because there's always hope in tomorrow. No matter how bad life gets, no matter how much cancer comes into your life, how much financial difficulty comes in your life, you always have tomorrow because of Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, that's the reality, and that's why it says, focus on that. It will be a bedrock for us. And then he leads us to number two in verse 16. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. 
So the second one is to teach and counsel each other in Christ. That helps us stay centered on our identity. It does not take long. Do you realize that by the end of summer, when people who have skipped coming to church on a regular basis, our counseling intake almost doubles. It almost doubles. It's clockwork. Because people say, you know what? I'm going to just go on vacation, even from the church and connection and learning and counseling from one another. And it sure doesn't take long, does it? For us to begin to buy into whatever it is that we think that's going to rejuvenate us or fill us. And then we come back empty and angry at our spouses. And all of a sudden we see the end product of that. And that's why I'm so proud of you for being here because this is step one. It's step one of counseling and teaching one another is you get a chance to come and worship and connect to God. But it has to go beyond here. We need to get in smaller groups. Uh, Because discipleship best happens in circles, not in rows. You know, where you're known and you get to connect with other people, men and women and community groups and all that kind of stuff that takes place around here. Uh, But here's my other question for you. If you go one step further, do you have one person, one person in your life who challenges, encourages, and even teaches you about Jesus? One person. And do you have somebody that you're doing the same to? See, we have friends, even friends in the church, and we might go to coffee with other people and say, how's your family? What's going on? I'll pray for you. But do we really iron sharpen iron as one man or woman sharpens another? Do you have that one person? Around here, we call it a spiritual partner, someone who's going to check in, who's going to counsel, who's going to teach, who's going to come alongside, and you're going to do the same in their life as well, which leads us to number three. See, then it says, he says, after he says, remember what it's like to live as if this world is not your home. Secondly, continue to teach and counsel each other. And thirdly, also in verse 16, he says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. This is going to sound a little funny at first when it comes to our identity in Christ, but he's calling us to worship the Lord through song, to worship God through song. Now, we will most likely, because I can sense what God's doing around here, have a sermon or two on the importance of worshiping God through song sometime this next year. Because God inhabits the praises of his people is what he says. See, one of the primary reasons we gather on a weekly basis is because we can't do this in small groups, which is to worship God, which is to do this through our voices. Now, here's what I know. Men, you're more apt not to sing than the ladies. We just are. And part, partly because there might be this, this uh, I, I can't sing kind of thing. Uh, it doesn't feel manly. You know, I know to some other guys, it uh, feels feminine, you know, to be actually to be able to sing. I don't sing anywhere, so why should I sing here? There's a lot of reasons, guys. You know, it doesn't mean this doesn't apply to the gals as well, but I just see this more often, you know, guys, than not. Let me just encourage and challenge you a bit, you know, along those lines. Uh, there is not more of a manly man that I have read in all of history than in the Old Testament, this guy by the name of David. Okay, David is a man's dude. Okay, I mean, he just inhabits what a man should be and look like. Uh, he, here's a, give you an example. He's the guy watching sheep in his teenage years. Now, how many you guys uh, hunters? Hunters, raise your hand if you're here. Hunters, okay. So this guy is watching out for his sheep. Well, a bear comes one time, and a lion comes another and grabs one of the sheep. What does he do? He chases after it, and you can read about it in 1 Samuel, grabs it by its mane with his bare hands and kills it. Okay, try that without your bow next time. Okay? <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, he went after the lion and the bear. And, and, and not only that, but he's the only one to stand up to Goliath in the Old Testament. Think Shaq on steroids, okay? So he goes running at Goliath. Now, 
he kills him, and you think like, well, he is because he, you know, used this little, you know, you know, whatever you call those things, slingshot, and he, you know, and it went in the forehead. You know how manly is that? Right. But then he took Goliath's sword, lopped off the dude's head, and then he walked around with Goliath's head for days. Picture that. Bet that didn't happen in your Sunday school class when you were taught about that. It's in the scriptures. In fact, we're teaching your kids right now as they're uh, in the class. So you're welcome. You know, we want to make sure that God's word really inhabits your kids and gives them nightmares, you know, from now on. So here's a guy, he had David's mighty men, okay? These were guys who followed David. You know, these are guys who would not be welcomed in church, you know? These are rough, hard guys, but they followed David. They lived in caves, you know, they wandered around, but they followed this man's man. But you also realize that he was a poet, and he wrote most of our Psalms in our Old Testament, putting them to music. David worshiped the Lord freely because he understood what it meant to sing and connect as his identity was connected to God. So he worshiped. And so let me encourage and challenge you to do the same thing, to be challenged in that way, to uninhibitedly. It does not matter the song, the style of music or any of that. You're not here for who's singing. You're not here for the song. We're here to worship God irregardless of the song, the style, the lights, whether you like or not, the hymns here or there. We're not here to do that. We're here to worship God. And so we engage with our voices because our hearts are reminded of our identity in Jesus Christ. And watch what it does as you continue to do so. Verse 17, lastly, Paul says, and whatever you do or say, in other words, if you've not gotten it by this point, do it as a representative your identity is in him. So now you're representing the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, through God the Father. See, since our identity is in Christ, live for him. See, whatever you do or say, you know, you know the NFL, since we were mentioning that earlier, they have a conduct policy. They do. Uh, and so it's not just, are you going to get flagged for doing things right or wrong on the field? Or are you going to run or get punished in practice for not doing what's been expected, right or wrong? It's off the field. It's a way. And if you are caught or do something against the policy, then they actually subject you to punishment, you know, along the lines, because there's an expectation of what it means to be an NFL athlete. How much more is there in Christ Jesus? We think that this is the playground. It's not. This is the huddle. We get to come together, be challenged, be encouraged, be inspired, and then walk out of here taking on the identity of who Christ is into our real lives as friends and students and husbands and fathers and moms and daughters and et cetera, et cetera, because Christ is our identity. That's an amen. So my hope is that you'll walk out of here remembering who you are or who you can become in Jesus Christ. As we wrap up, verse 3 and 4, For you died to this life, Paul says, and your real life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. That you would embrace and remember when things get hard, things get difficult, that I am a child of God. And when things are good and things are rolling up and to the right, that you say, no, no, that's still not my identity. It's not in those things that I am 
a child of God. In fact, I'd love you to say it with me. Can you say this with me? I am a child of God. Let's say it again. I am a child of God. A little bit more conviction. I am a child of God only through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we are children of you because of your son. Not by anything we've said or done, but by what you have said and done. Help us to embrace that truth, embrace that reality. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.